You're listening to the Anchor of Hope Recovery Podcast, the show that brings you Christ-centered recovery advice, inspiring testimonies from people who are winning the battle with addiction, and encouragement for your journey. Now, here's your host, Justin Franich. Hey, everybody, this is Justin Franich, and I want to thank you again for tuning in to Anchor of Hope Recovery Podcast. We really appreciate your um, your time and your your support as you continue to tune into the podcast week after week. And this week, I'm coming at you with another one of our Anchor Conversations. Um, the whole idea of Anchor Conversations are where we interview folks that have either um, they have a transformation story that they've went through drug addiction, they found their hope in Jesus, and they've been living in freedom for some period of time. Or also, we're reaching out to people who have been involved in this field for a while that have um, you know, had a passion and a heart to help those struggling with drug and alcohol addiction and you know, have really uh, inspired people that need to find a way out. And so um, tonight, I'm privileged to come to you with another one of these conversations where I'm, uh, I've got Pastor Don Wilkerson with me tonight. Um, Pastor Don is the co-founder of Teen Challenge, the co-founder of Times Square Church. He's authored several books, um, you know, some that are focused on helping nonprofits and parachurch ministries grow, the book called um, Notes from the Flagship. Uh, there's a recovery book he's got out there called First Steps. And then also recently has published the Teen Challenge Study Bible, uh, which is an incredibly encouraging study Bible for anybody who's you know, finding their way out of addiction. It's got some amazing study notes in it. And so I'm excited to have him on the call tonight. Um, Pastor Don, thank you so much for uh, coming on the call. Yes, yes. Uh, glad to do so. Glad to do so. God bless you. Thank, thanks so much. And so as we, um, as we jump in tonight, you know, maybe you can take a few minutes and just share some of the origin story on, um, you know, how God initially um, prompted you to minister to those struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. Your Teen Challenge has such a rich history of helping, helping addicts and really such a long-standing period of success and seeing those that are bound up with life controlling issues get free. And so um, for those who maybe don't know your story or the history of Teen Challenge, you can maybe take a few minutes and just kind of dive into that and share how the Lord, you know, prompted you to begin to ministering to addicts. Yes. Well, um, I followed in uh, the footsteps of my brother, David, uh, the story of how all this was started is when he felt called to New York to help some gang members. And uh, he wrote that story that became uh, really a worldwide bestseller called The Cross and Switchblade. And many people over the years have, have read that. And uh, I guess you would say it's a very dramatic way uh, of God putting my brother in a place where a ministry was birthed to gangs and then later to drug addicts. My call came, interestingly enough, on the telephone. Uh, when I was uh, finishing up my ministry training, he called me and told me the ministry that he, he was starting and uh, that he would like me to, to join it. So uh, it was kind of like a Macedonian call. I've often told people, it doesn't matter how the call comes to you. It matters how you answer it. And mm -hmm. so uh, I answered that call for my brother and joined him. And then uh, 
the ministry developed from there. Okay, fantastic. Now, can you describe a little bit in those early days on the streets? On, you know, I know heroin back in the fifties was extremely prevalent, and as I've as I've thought about, you know, some of what's happening in America now with the heroin crisis. Of course, I wasn't wasn't around in the fifties, but with the you know, the heroin and the opioid ep- epidemic that was happening in New York. I mean, are, are you seeing any similarities to maybe what our country is facing now with opioids as you did back in the 50s when you guys were on the streets in New York at the beginning? Well, we, we would have never thought in those beginning days that addiction would go mainstream. And it okay. has now. Um, you know, we, we started with the gangs and the gangs turned to drugs. And, and it literally wiped out the gangs over a period of time in, in the early 60s. And the same young men that we were trying to help as gang members, we had to begin to help them as drug addicts. And uh, there, there was no place for them to, to go. I think there was one hospital in America, a federal hospital in Kentucky, where you could go to be detoxified. And... Uh, the drug addicts from New York City went down there. They called it KY, um, and uh, that was probably, you know, the only place. And so, uh, you know, we started uh, wor- working with them. And then in the late 60s and 70s, the drug problem began to spread across America among middle class. Um, and uh, today, actually, it, uh, uh, it's kind of shocking to me to see uh, small areas, small towns, it's everywhere. And, and it used to be those who came into our program uh, back there in the early 60s, uh, they were from the inner city, uh, often minorities. Uh, but then that began to change. And today we have college students, college graduates. We have uh, men and women who've had a working career and then uh, got hooked on opiates. Uh, we, we have uh, church people, uh, Christians, uh, all walks of life uh, today that are being affected by, by the drug problem. Yeah, if, I, if I remember correctly, I think I read an article somewhere um, from, from back, back in the day where, where you guys were, were sounding the alarm, if you will, that you know this this drug problem is going to begin to infiltrate uh, many of the rural communities, and it, and it's certainly unfortunate if I'm if I'm wrong, correct me, but um, it's certainly unfortunate that we have seen that that start to transpire you know over the last 50 years as it's infiltrated every every community all across our country. Yes, and um, you know it became easier and easier for people to. Uh, uh, procure drugs, uh, especially, um, uh, you know, uh, drugs that's normally used for uh, genuine medical purposes, but now they're, they're being uh, abused. Uh, and yes, um, we, and my brother especially, he was an evangelist who traveled across the country, and he told people, uh, look, it's coming to your area. And uh, that, that's exactly, exactly what happened. And we started in Brooklyn uh, back in um, the late 50s and early 60s. And then Teen Challenge spread to major cities. And now 
Uh, I think there's some 250 centers across the country uh, in uh, small cities in rural areas. Um, um, I mean, it, 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 it is, it's at epidemic proportions today. Yeah. Now, when, when, when you see an individual coming, coming either into teen challenge or, you know, that's maybe, maybe they hear an inspiring message at church. They, they know they've got a problem They're, they're They know there's a struggle with addiction on, um, what are some of those like those first steps? So let's say this individual enters themselves into a program such as Teen Challenge, or they um, they make a decision in an altar ministry um, that they want to follow Jesus, or they're just ready. They want they just want to quit. Maybe there's been no defining event like a program or an altar service, but they've just gotten to a point that they're ready to quit. What are some of the first steps that you see are most important for somebody that's ready to step out of addiction that they need to take in order to set themselves up for success? Well, they, they need to be desperate, first of all, uh, to really, really want to, not just to be clean, but to have a total new life. I share with the students in our program, I say it's, it's one thing to be clean. It's another thing to be pure. Uh, and uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so um, we we are not just a drug rehabilitation program. We are a discipleship program. And the cure comes by surrendering to Jesus Christ. And that can come on day one. Uh, some, uh, it comes later. Some, when they come in, they've, they have known the Lord. And maybe they went to church, uh, and they gave their heart back to the Lord. They surrendered to, to Christ again, but they knew they had to get into a program. And uh, those those are the ones that we really like to come into into uh, into Teen Challenge. There are some who come uh, under duress. Uh, they they come um, because uh, to please a mother or ple- please a wife. Uh, uh, please a loved one, uh, and they can be a challenge. Um, but when they come in, they not only hear the gospel, they see the gospel. Mm-hmm. They see people just like themselves who are worshiping the Lord and who have accepted Christ. And their influence and their example and testimony is so powerful uh, that um, most of them realize, look, if I'm going to be in this program, I need to be in Christ. And right. so uh, they're faced with, with that decision. Uh, hopefully it would be on day one, as they some some of them, they, they come through the door, their hearts already been open to God. And that's where they come. Yeah. Um, but for others of it, it, it can take some time. Um, and, and I've, I've seen some, you know, go through the program for months and months before they really surrender to the Lord, um, and 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 again, um, if they, if they're just there to get clean, um, all well and good. Uh, but most of them, when they leave and they've had that motive just to get clean, uh, they relapse and they go back to the same thing again. Yeah, and that's a, I mean that, that's an important uh, an important distinction. 
especially, you know, when it comes to Christian discipleship and you, you mentioned relapse. And so, you know, I think that's a, that's a thought and a topic that's on everybody's mind in the addiction and in the addiction space, especially, you know, those of us who have, have been in addiction before, you know, we're constantly, you know, how can I prevent relapse from happening? How can I make sure that's not a part of my story? Um, what are some, what are some like things that you've seen and those who have been successful, um, you know, over the long term? you know, that have gone from that place of being, getting clean, just getting off the drugs to really becoming disciples of Christ. Are there any things that you've seen them do that kind of set them apart from those who, who aren't really all in this thing? Well, they find a new connection. Um, they have to leave the old, their old connections and their old sources uh, of trying to cope with um their their life, uh, their problems, their challenges, and so forth, and uh, that new connection, of course, is it's to God on a personal basis, um, and developing a desire for the Word, um, prayer, making prayer a daily habit in, in their life, and then finding what God's will is for their life, and and following that. And to be connected with the body of Christ, be it a church, be it a ministry, we have, uh, uh, there was an article some years ago in Time Magazine about us, and a criticism, they, they, there was a criticism that we are trying to make preachers out of all of them. And uh, when I would share that in churches, I would say, that person who who made that accusation, he's absolutely right. We do try to make preachers out of them, and I don't mean preachers in in, in the sense of uh, of um, it being their profession, but in terms of uh, sharing their faith and helping others. And even in the twelve step program, they talk. Uh, one of the steps is you start reaching out and to helping other people, and one of the reasons some relapse. Uh, and there are many reasons for it, but one of the reasons is that uh, they, they don't find their place in God and, and in society and what God wants to do with their life. Doesn't mean they have to be a preacher. Doesn't mean they have to be a pastor. Doesn't mean they have to work in a rehab ministry. But they know that what they're doing, they feel that they're in God's will, and I. Uh, Build, uh, in some cases, building a new family or bringing their family back together, uh, being a testimony. Uh, many of them that come, their parents do not know the Lord. And uh, we've seen many, many families totally revolutionized by the transformation of one person. And uh, the, the prodigal in the family goes back and... and um, be, becomes a priest, as it were, in the house to lead the family to Christ. Uh, so it, it, it's really uh, getting involved in, in what God wants them to do for their lives. And some of them, it, it, that, that can take a year, it can take two years. Some of them uh, struggle longer. Uh, but they got to keep connected in some way uh, with spiritual leaders, be it pastor or whatever it might be. 
they need to keep connected. Yeah. And this is, I mean, you mentioned some of the AA principles there too. And, you know, I'd, I'd often would, I'd often go back. We always use accountability and spiritual mentors in the Christian space, but I mean, AA talks a lot about the value of having a sponsor, having somebody to connect to, um, you know, because it's vital to have that, have that accountability around you. Um, if there was a, a myth, <laughs> this is kind of a, maybe an outlandish question, but, but I, I think it's a good one on um, if there's a common myth around the recovery world on um, surrounding this whole drug addiction space on um, if there's one myth that you, you'd want to debunk that you'd want to kind of press back against on um, what, what would that be? And there may be many, but maybe just, just focus in on maybe one myth that you might, you might want to debunk. Well, they define addiction now as a disease. And um, if it is a dis- disease, it's an acquired disease. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem with the disease concept is that if you relapse, you can <clears throat> blame it on the, on the disease. Uh, and so, I mean, in, in Brooklyn Teen Challenge, <clears throat> we already even bring up the, the concept of, of, of disease. Um, because mo- most of them know that uh, it wasn't the disease, it was their choices that, that they made. So that's one of the myths. Uh, and um, the disease concept guarantees the medical community a lifetime of clients. That's mm-hmm. a tragedy of it. And it's very, very sad. The other, the other thing is, uh, and, and I'm realistic enough to know that there is a percentage of relapse, even among some of those that have gone through the program, um, strong, strong in the Lord, uh, strong in their commitment to the program, strong in their commitment to Christ. And then they go out and they face challenges and they relapse. Um, but one of the teachings of, of some, some of those in the, in the secular rehab world is that relapse is a part uh, of recovery. Uh, now, we use the term cor- uh, recovery uh, because that's the term that people understand. But the biblical word is transformation. Old hmm. things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so that's another myth. Uh, and and um, m- most of those who do relapse and they come back for uh, restoration, um, they don't blame it on anybody except themselves, <laughs> except the choices uh, that they've made. And again, that goes back to what you talked about, the con- accountability uh, that, uh, that is uh, required. Uh, and so uh, th- 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 those are two of the things uh, that, um, um, that I would say in answer to your question. Okay. So say I've on, uh, I keep going back to the relapse piece because I've, I've heard that so many times before that that relapse is a is a part of recovery and it's such a it's not it's not just a myth but it's such a dangerous myth on um, especially in the day we're yeah. living in with fentanyl cutting being cut into heroin I mean you know one time nowadays I mean it's it's more dangerous than it's ever been and that one relapse can can be it and 
you know, you know, Pastor Don, I've been fortunate, and I j- just share this for a little bit of context for those who are listening. You know, when I when I went to Teen Challenge, uh, almost it's it was 15 years this week. I'm celebrating my um, my freedom date, you know, my new life in Christ, and I've never once went back to meth. Um, you know, God God got a hold of me and He delivered me, and, and so I'm very grateful and thankful to Jesus for that. I've got so much gratitude for for what He's done. But let's say that I'm listening to this and I'm in that position and I've, I've made a decision to relapse on, you know, what would you say to somebody that might be on the other end of these headphones right now and they've recently relapsed and they're just kind of, they're broken and not really sure what to do. Um, what, what encouraging words might you have for them? Well, I would say to them that today is the first day of your life if you make the right choices uh, to uh, do, do whatever you have to do to go into recovery, whether it be um, finding somebody locally to help you, be it a pastor, uh, be it some kind of a other local ministry, or if it means going back into a residential program. Today is the first day of your life. Uh, but today could also be the first day of your death mm-hmm. if you make the wrong choice. And uh, mm-hmm. that, that's why I agree with you that the whole concept of, of relapse is, is so dangerous. What I wish I knew, and I don't know if you have any uh, insight to this yourself, is among those who overdose, those who died, they've had an overdose, how many of them? It happened when they were relapsing. Maybe they were, went into a, a secular program. Maybe they went into a 12-step. Maybe they went into a, an AA-type program, and they relapsed. Um, um, or maybe they were in the faith-based uh, a program, and they relapsed, and they overdosed. Uh, we, I would say in, in the last year, those who came into Brooklyn for any period of time, I know of at least three or four or five who relapsed and they died. Uh, They had an overdose. Uh, And and we who work in this ministry, uh, that's the sad thing that we know is uh, going to happen. Um, And sometimes people relapse uh, with, with a reason. And when I say a reason, uh, you know, something very, very difficult happened in their life, or right. they had an issue when they were in the program and they never fully dealt with it, and that issue comes back to haunt them, and they they go back uh, to drugs. But there's many other cases they go back because of stupidity. Right. Stupidity. They yeah. just uh, they put themselves in a compromising uh, position. Uh, they hang out uh, with some of the old crowd, and uh, I, I, I've known those that said, well, I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm going to go back and, 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 and win my friends uh, to the Lord. Well, only do that if you're under the covering of a ministry or the, under the covering of other people that are going to go with you. Uh, yeah. So uh, a lot of it just happens because of, of stupidity, and sometimes it happens – because the family um, 
does not receive them back in a way that brings healing. Uh, now I know, uh, and I I know that uh, parents have a hard time trusting a son or a daughter that comes back, or the wife having a difficulty. We understand that, but if they signal to that person that they don't trust them, uh, and they do things or say things that make them feel like they're still a drug addict. That's the reason they're going to relapse, you know? So, yeah. uh, yeah, if, if, if you want to start listening, uh, the reasons for re- re- relapse there, there's probably a, um, half a dozen or a dozen or more, uh, yeah. that the cause yeah, you, of it. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned stupidity and hanging out with old circles and then, you know, trying to make that decision to go back in and thinking, we're going to be the ones to rescue all of our friends. You know, I had, a, I had an interesting experience probably about a year ago. I, I was one of those folks that when I got home, I just decided that I had to start fresh. I cut everybody off. I loved a lot of the people from my past, but I just knew that my, my, my new relationship with Christ was important. And if it was going to be successful, I was going to have to start fresh. And there were several people that I wanted to reach out to but I resisted and chose to hit my knees in the prayer closet for them. And it's, it's crazy. About a year ago, I, I ran across an old friend on Facebook, you know, it had been 14 years at this point. I said, you know, maybe I shoot him a message just to see how they're doing. And on, um, you know, the response I got immediately from them, and you could tell it was almost as if they were protecting themselves because they weren't quite sure about me yet either. And they said, doing good. I'm doing the church thing now and family. <laughs> and I kind of laughed because yeah. I, I understood their response. But then then the Lord really spoke to me and I almost started crying because he showed me the fruit of my prayers from 14 years ago and not feeling like I had to be that person to save them, but that God God's arms were long enough to reach them without me having to go there. And, um, yeah, yes, I think, I you think know, that, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, and, um, one one of the bad motives of going out to reach somebody is is guilt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and and th- thinking, uh, well, if I help to save somebody, uh, you know, God's going to be pleased uh, with me. And I, I I do believe helping others is a part of recovery, but it can't be done singularly. It's got to be done somehow within the context of uh, 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 especially if, if somebody is new coming out of the program, um, they're they're not strong enough yet to be subjected yeah. to the temptations, even when the motive seems to be pure. Underneath it all, it, it's the enemy trying to uh, lure them back. Yeah, absolutely. So if there was one thing that you could, um, if, if, you, if you had a time machine, if you will, and you could go back to the early days um, when you when you first started ministering to those with life controlling issues, and you know you, you guys you were you were there on the streets, and you were starting to see all these addicts, and you know you're seeing some of these issues. There was one thing that you know future Pastor Don could go back and tell Pastor Don from the very beginning days. Um, what would that be? Oh, that's a great, great question. 
And I, I would say wanting to be a friend, more of a friend to them and not be a buddy. Um, and there is a distinction there, you know, a friend uh, meaning building more of a uh, common, uh, more of a relationship uh, with them. Um, and and uh, one of the things I do when someone is completing the program is that it's often at that point that I begin to develop a personal relationship with them. Uh, I, I I always love to uh, have a student in uh, the car with me or in the van with me, um, uh, going going somewhere and and just socialize and just you know uh, talk to them about you know everyday things and their life and, and and so forth. I wish I could have done more of that, but it's hard when you've got forty or fifty people uh, that you have to watch over. So. so I had to wait uh, until near the end of the program. I remember a fellow one time came to me and he said, "Brother Don, I see you come in and out of this. I, I I wish I got to could get to know you more." And I said, "Listen, when you finish this program and you need me, I'll be here for you." But I wish I could have maybe started that earlier. And I don't know how I would have done that, um, especially. Uh, to not make it look like I'm favoring a certain student. But on, on the other hand, Jesus had his inner circle, you know, and he, yeah. he was closer to Peter, James, and John than to the other disciples. So I think there could have been a way to overcome that. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, that, that, that would be one, one thing. And uh, I, I don't know. Being more spontaneous being more spontaneous spiritually at praying for people, um, you know, someone going down the hall and just stop them and, and, and pray for them. I wish I could have been more spontaneous spiritually and in ministry. Okay. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I've never been asked that question before. So, uh, just I'm going to be thinking about that. Uh, once once we finish this interview, I'm going to be thinking that about that for the next hour or the next day or so. <laughs> oh, good. I'm, I'm glad I was able to bring bring a different a different question. Uh, and, yeah. And so if we, yeah. And so you um, I noticed on your Facebook, and I haven't got a chance to read it yet. I actually had the Amazon page pulled up, and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna order a copy. But you recently just put a book out called The Dawn, and on. Um, can you take a few minutes and just kind of talk about that book and, you know, what, what your heart was? Yeah. You book? know, it, 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 it's sort of different. Um, you know, I, I, I had uh, COVID-19. Um, I, I got it very, I would, I got it uh, early in March. I went to New York city and I got exposed to it Um there's two or three different uh, places that I was and persons I was with where I got exposed to it. And I came back and uh, two weeks later, I came down uh, a, a very serious case with it. Uh, April 1st, I went to the hospital. I, I was, um, uh, oh, I, I was just in bad shape. And uh, I, and I was fortunate 
to go to a, a small town hospital called Pepper, Virginia. And uh, the the doctor came in and said, do you want to take this uh, um, uh, for the want of a better word, uh, um, simple word is malaria drug uh, that's been very controversial. And I think I I went there April 1st. It might have been a Wednesday or Thursday. I took it. And one of the one of the problems that I had during it is I had lost my sense of smell and taste, especially mm-hmm. taste. And I didn't want any food. I didn't. Uh, my uh, they they had to get, uh, get give me liquid in, intravenously. And I took that drug. The next day I woke up, and I said I can taste. I I took a taste of uh, of a juice that that I hadn't touched. And wow! And one day later, I went home, and I was quarantined for the next 14 days. And during that period of time, I decided, um, you know, it 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 it, it was a near death experience. However, mm-hmm. I, I I didn't have the I I didn't have the knowledge and thinking. Well, I'm going to die any minute. That's not the way it was. But it still was a, a near death experience. And I decided. I wanted to tell some of my story to my five grandkids. And okay. so I sat down and and I, I wrote it. And one of the uh, young graduates who worked for me for six years, she she started calling me the Dawn. And, okay. uh, and I never asked her why until I start writing the book and I decided I was going to call it the Dawn. <laughs> and I wrote her. She lives in uh, Danville, Virginia. I said, why did you call me that? She said, because you and your brother led a good gang. Uh, 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 you, you, you were the dawn <laughs> for the drug addicts. And so uh, I wrote the book for my grandkids uh, and then decided to open it up for other people to read it as well. And it's, it's just a, li- it's a little bit different. But it's it, it, it's from from my early childhood all the way through to my years at Teen Challenge, various stories that tell the story of my journey, and it's kind of like an autobiography, autobiography, you know. Oh, so fantastic! It's it's, it, it's an easy read. It's a fast read. A simple read, and uh, a lot of a lot of stories. But. My sister picked up on the Don too when she was in Brooklyn Teen Challenge with you guys. She used to say that all the time. Also, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and and so uh, I always took it as a term of respect. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, not not that they were calling me, uh, uh, you know, a mafia character. But <laughs> right. it, it was a term of affection and a term of respect, and so uh, it did. It, it just stuck with me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well. I, I appreciate that, and um, yeah, appreciate you sharing your heart about the book. And I'm definitely gonna, uh, I'll check that out. And then for those who may be listening, I'll I'll put the link in the show notes so you can on, um, you can find 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 that, and then also some of uh, Pastor Don's other books. And so as we wrap up, on um, if you have any parting words, maybe for our audience, um, for those who have been tuning into the podcast, um, and and I wanna I wanna maybe focus on families a little bit kind of in your parting words on because I know there's a lot of a lot of despair and a lot of hopelessness when families are walking with loved ones through addicts sometimes they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel 
Um, you know, they never planned for their children, grandchildren, whoever it may be, to become addicts. And now they're seeing this in their lives, and um, they're in that they're in that that stage of that verse. You know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The heart is sick. And, and what what would you say to maybe encourage families that are just walking through this battle? Well, um, you know, based based upon my experience in life. Um, I I I, w- I would say you got to have hope. You got to keep hope. And I, I know it's an overused word, but when it comes to this kind of a problem, uh, families need to know that there is a there are places to go uh, where their son or their daughter can get help if they want it. If they want it, uh, you can't force them to do it. Uh, you can't threaten them to do it. They have to want to do it, and sometimes they have to get worse before they get better. Uh, and um, if, if you're a Christian family, then you pray, and, and um, it, it's not the responsibility of the parents to change them. Um, and, and if something has happened in the family that was the cause of the addiction, maybe some mistakes that were made and, and so forth. The family needs to go before God and realize that God forgives them. Uh, and they are, they're not responsible uh, for their son or their daughter being on drugs. Um, um, there may have been some contributing factors uh, uh, to it, but at the end of the day, uh, God made us free will agents to make our choices, and as I often say, we make our choices, and then our choices turn around, and they make us for better or for worse. And I would say to families, I've, I'm, I'm one of five in the family, and my uh, people who know the story of Teen Challenge and know um, uh, David Wilkerson, um, uh, who, who was a, an icon. In the, in, in the Christian world and uh, uh, we grew up in a min- minister's home but I had a brother who became another brother who became an alcoholic a working al- alcoholic um, married four children um, and, and uh, it got so bad for years he, he maintained his job and finally he got so bad he um, you know he, he, he ended up practically homeless and all we could do is pray and pray. And my mother said to me at one time, she said, Don, Jerry is going to come back to God. It is going to go through Teen Challenge. And I said, Mother, I believe he'll come back to God. But with a name Wilkerson, he'll never come to Teen Challenge. And she <laughs> said, you just wait and see what God is going to do. <laughs> And that's exactly what happened. And uh, yeah. there, there's the whole story of that, how, how, how he came to one of our rallies and came to the altar and uh, we put him in the program and he um, he did six months and, and then uh, returned back to his wife and family. Uh, so I know there's hope. I know there's hope. And I mentioned it before. I've seen entire families revolutionized. Yeah. When one member of the family was transformed. So uh, 
as difficult as, as it is, um, um, let your faith uh, hold up, hold you up uh, when when uh, when you see the worst, when you see the worst in your son or your daughter. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate again you taking the time um, to chat today. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Glad to. It's it's been a been a fantastic call and and I I really appreciate all you guys that are that are tuning in as you on um, you start to kind of follow this podcasting journey uh, and we see what the Lord Lord does with this as this thing thing develops. Um, thank you again for following Anchor of Hope Recovery. Uh, for those of you who are listening maybe aren't subscribed yet, um, please take a moment hit the subscribe button and share your feedback and um, as we continue to bring new guests onto the show. We bring new folks on to be a part of this show on if you've got a recovery story, if you've, you've been transformed by Jesus, we're, we're focusing in on the Jesus, the Jesus factor, this whole thing. If you found a relationship with Christ and you're living free from addiction on, and, and I, reach out to me, I'd love to interview you. I'd love to hear your story. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that, that need to connect with this. They need to connect with this hope um, as we're seeing during this COVID crisis. Uh, you know, the, the overdose rate starting to skyrocket. There's a lot of despair, a lot of isolation, and we just want to be a voice of hope for those who may be struggling. So thank you again for um, tuning in Amen. to Anchor Hope Recovery. And thank you again, Pastor Don. I, I really appreciate yes. your time. Amen. God bless you and much success with the, the, the podcast. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Bye.